This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. All right, y'all, welcome back to this episode of the Advocacy Bone Bee podcast. I hope you enjoyed our three-part series that we did on consolidation. We've got a fantastic interview for y'all this month. We have Dr. Al Osheski, also known as Dr. O or Dr. Al. Al is one of the orthopedic surgeons that we have that is running for federal office. And Al's had a pretty interesting and fascinating career in how he got to where he is. So Al went to Carroll College and then went to medical school at the University of Washington. After that, he served our country by joining the U.S. Air Force, did his general surgery work at Lachlan, and then did orthopedic surgery at Wilford Hall, and eventually did a sports and total joint fellowship as well. Being a Montana guy, after he obtained the rank of major and worked his way through the Air Force, he went back to Montana and started practicing orthopedic surgery. But he's been very involved and very interested in public policy and helping the Montanans. So he joined the Montana House in 2014 for a term and then actually joined the Montana Senate, was elected to the Senate of Montana in 2016 for a term. And after that, he sought higher aspirations and ran for Senate for Montana, ran for the governorship, the gubernatorial race in Montana, and is now running for the second House seat in the state of Montana. So it's really fascinating to have Al here to hear about his story and how he got to this point. So welcome, Dr. Al, to the Advocacy Bombi podcast, sir. Well, thank you, Doug. It's nice to be here. I enjoyed getting to meet you when we were at the AOS hanging out the advocacy booth. And for those of y'all who go to the annual meeting or were there last time or going next year, please come by the advocacy booth. There's a whole lot of very interesting people there to talk with and to get to know more about the efforts that our association is doing on your behalf in Washington. So, Al, you have a very fascinating career, sir. I appreciate your service and thank you for your service to our country. We all have taken our different paths into orthopedic surgery, but as you are well aware, our colleagues, very few, have had a career in politics or an interest in politics on this. How did you get involved in politics after your career in orthopedics? After uh, being back here in Kalispell, Montana, I was here working at Flathead Orthopedics as a partner. We were the largest orthopedic clinic in Northwest Montana. And in 2009, I was the president and practicing partner for our group. And I read the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, 2,467 pages in appendices. After reading all the legalese, there was winners and losers being picked by the government. And uh, independent practices and our patients were the losers. And hospital networks and the government were winners. That introduced me into a world of healthcare advocacy. I started advocating and being an advisor for healthcare policy in the state of Montana, as well as in Washington, D.C. So you bring up an interesting point. So as the president of your group, and I applaud you for reading the ACA, that was a big lift there. But you had a certain viewpoint on healthcare policy as practice president and as a practicing orthopedic surgeon when you read the ACA. As a member of the House in Montana, as a member of the Senate in Montana, and now running for office, what's the other side of this look like from your perspective, being on the political side of policymaking, but with the background of being an orthopedic surgeon? 
after being a policy advocate and helping candidates and state electors, I was recruited by a, a rancher who was a senior state legislator who said, look, well, I asked, I said, hey, how do I become more effective in front of you? I come to you in your office. I show up at committee hearings at the state. I do this at the national level. And this senior representative, his name was Alan Redfield. And Alan said, hey, doc, he says, I want to let you know, you experts show up and you testify and we listen to you for hundreds of hours. And then we go in the back room and we ask the veterinary technician who is a state legislator, what do we do with healthcare in Montana? So if you really want to be effective, you got to have skin in the game and you need to be here and let's develop those relationships and so that we can trust you to be the one that tells us where we should drive healthcare for the 21st century. Can you give us an example in your exposure in the Montana House and Senate of where being an orthopedic surgeon was actually very key to decisions that were made? What I've learned going through this is, yes, I bring a medical and a surgical expertise, especially when it comes to a bone health. But our biggest skill that we bring to the arena of public debate is that we as physicians are active listeners. You know, when we wake up and we get in front of a person in the emergency room in our clinic right before surgery, we are actively listening to the issues and the problems. And then we attempt to constructively and quickly figure out a decision, whether it's in agriculture or health and human services. I've brought the issue of critical decision making into suicide prevention, substance abuse. Like every state, we have a mental health crisis and we have a critical shortage of psychiatric providers. In uh, 2017, we were in a budget shortfall. But in the midst of trying to figure out how we balance the budget, I found a slush fund where I found seed money and we were able to use it to start a psychiatric residency in the state of Montana. I'm happy to say that this summer is the first year that we're actually going to have four psychiatric residents doing their third and fourth clinical years here in Montana. It's a joint residency with the University of Washington. But again, as a surgeon, as a orthopedic surgeon, we are always looking at plan A, B, C, D, and E, and we're moving back and forth as we listen to the needs and the issues that sit in front of us with the individual patient or with our constituents who have different needs but still have wants that we are addressing. The Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel is supported in part by Medacta's Moore Institute Education Programs, which unite surgeon leaders globally for the advancement of medical education. The international company has a strong focus on healthcare sustainability and specializes in innovative orthopedic products and accompanying surgical techniques that offer personalized solutions for every patient. You've been at this for almost a decade now. This is, as let's say, going to call water wet here, very divisive time in our country. It's a whole lot going on. And there's a lot of diversity in orthopedic surgeons from very far left liberal to far right conservative. I've talked to a fair number of folks who are libertarian and independent, many different flavors of political leanings of orthopedic surgeons. So it's an interesting organization we represent. But considering the divisive nature of the country right now, what's at stake for physicians and their patients at this midterm election, since this seems to be a pretty critical time in our country? Doug, again, going back to the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, implementing the whole law really was on autopilot with things kicking in in different years. And we're still not done. We still have regulations that are kicking in between 
here in 2024. And it really comes down to this. If we want patient-centered, physician-directed healthcare, we need to fight for it. Because I'll tell you, when the government promises to provide healthcare, they need to pay for it. And if they pay for it, they control it. And if they control it, they're going to tell us how we're going to run our practices. They're going to tell us what treatments that we can give to our patients. And what they found is, is that as physicians, we are stubborn. We are like a bunch of cats is the way I've been told. But their most effective way of affecting how we do our job and how we advocate for our patients is how they pay us. The biggest thing that I push for is that if you promise a service, you need to pay for it. You can't pay less than the actual cost of the service. I guess an example, in urology, when they decided that they wanted to change the way that cystoscopies were accomplished, what they did is they changed the reimbursement. They're doing the same thing to us in total joints. If they want to change the way we provide services, they change the reimbursement. If they want to change the way that we do injections in our office, they change the reimbursement to where when we're sitting in our office talking in our business meetings, we're affecting patient care based on two things. One is the reimbursement and number two, guidelines. And I applaud our academy for being on the forefront of coming up with standards, gold standards of how we should treat patients based on the science. We're far ahead of many medical specialties. And if the medical specialty is not providing it, the government's creating it on their own. As I was discussing earlier, the diverse political views of our members, but there are a number of issues that we can all get behind. And you brought up one of those specifically in our common grounds and our common belief that we should advocate for our patients. Are there any other issues that you can think of that our members can agree on in this very divisive time in our country? Yes. I think when it comes down to having more control over the decision-making process and advocating for our patients, what we're watching, and I don't think that there's anybody that disagrees with this, is that over the last 10 years, one of the effects of the ACA is that doctor-patient relationship. I've watched as physicians were driven into employment situations, especially those that were independent practitioners. They fought and fought for that patient-physician relationship. What I'm hearing now from patients across all of Montana is that they don't feel that same advocacy and they don't feel that same relationship. And I even talked to the physicians that have been in that situation. And if they've moved around from one, two, three hospital systems, the general thought is that relationship is a patient-hospital network relationship, and they just represent the hospital network. And we need to reverse that. If we want care to be patient-centered and we want to drive that, we need to push back on this idea that we're just employees of a hospital. Our ultimate employer is our patient. Yes, sir. So I know you did the MADPACS Physician Candidate Workshop. I've been personally involved in that as well, and it's a fantastic thing. Do you have any insight on that, or do you have any thoughts on how our surgeons can otherwise become involved in political action? Certainly, yeah. 80-plus percent of what was put out there on that workshop were issues that I had to learn on the job through trial and error. So I would tell everybody, there's a time and a season in our careers for many things. And being involved in the political process, whether as a healthcare policy expert or as a citizen legislator, that's up to you. But there are now resources through the academy and in conjunction with other academies that can really get you up to speed very quickly. And quite honestly, 
I think there were a number of people who took that candidate workshop and they said, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe this is more work than I wanted to. I didn't. I thought this was going to be, you know, something I could do on the side, not a new profession or an entire residency in something completely different. It does peel back the onion and it shows you what's on the inside. I agree with you. I've seen folks in the meeting, their eyes roll back. Whoa, wait a minute. I think the biggest thing that you got to be comfortable with is people telling you, I adamantly disagree with you. As a physician, we're used to advocating for different treatment options and moving forward. And by and large, we are looked at optimistically and in a very positive fashion. When you get in this game, it's like being part of a large family. But with some of your cousins or in-laws who are not afraid to tell you that really you're less than ideal. Sometimes I feel like I'm back in general surgery internship every other night and I'm on the cardiac ICU floor and I'm being told how worthless I am. You got to have tough skin. I was going to ask you about that. So like you, I was president of my group in Atlanta before I moved up here to Pennsylvania. I have been, and my predecessor at Resurgence, she was also used to general near unanimous consensus, both there and both in the professional organizations that I've led in. And she now, Dr. Kate Kirkpatrick is in the state Senate in Georgia. You were in the state house, the state Senate. Now you're running for the second seat in Montana for Congress. That's a whole different game because all of a sudden there's a whole lot of folks who don't think you're, you're as cool as you thought you were. Whereas prior to that, in our experience, like I said, it was the general consensus that, yeah, we're the ripers for the job and everybody generally likes you. How was that shift going from, yeah, Al's such a great guy to Al, you're terrible and we hate your political views? If you're passionate for something, you're going to go ahead and you're going to push through those issues. Dr. Jesse DeLee was my fellowship director and professor. And when it came to the end of the year, he pulled me into his office and he said, I want to give you one piece of advice. And that is, is the hardest thing to say to a patient is no. But when you do it the first time, it gets easier after that. But it never, ever gets to be super easy. And same thing here. When you disagree with an advocate for one position or another that sits in front of you or is in your face, you've just got to be able to be comfortable with the conflict. And I'll tell you, coming from a large family, I'm the oldest of seven kids, and in the bottom third of 54 first cousins here in Montana, you learn that you've got to be passionate and fight for what you believe in. And when someone calls you a bad name, you just got to brush it off. And fortunately, as a physician, you learn how to tuck your tail and basically just say, I respectfully disagree. So as Advocacy Council Chair, I've become very aware that the perception that all orthopedic surgeons are far right red Republicans is false. There is a significant amount of different viewpoints within our association. So any thoughts on how we can unify and all kind of work together on behalf of the musculoskeletal community and more specifically on our patients, considering the fact that many of our colleagues come from markedly different mindsets? Doug, I agree with you. We are a diverse group when it comes to political philosophy. We are not decidedly to the left or to the right. We are truly a bell curve. And that is what makes it actually interesting and adventurous to have conversations on politics with orthopedic surgeons and with other professions. We got to remember, there is campaigning and in there is rhetoric. It's how to win an argument and how to bring passion to people to get them to be motivated and activate to create some action. And that's the fun part. The hard part is the governing. 
And you've got to be able to switch from campaigning to governing once you're elected. I ran as a state representative and a state senator in one of the most conservative House districts and Senate districts in Montana. So you're going to expect that I'm going to have conservative social views and be frugal with the public dollar. And I know of other physicians who are very liberal in their social thoughts, and they reflect the people that they represent. So we need to support those people on both the left and the right side as physicians, get them into the physician caucus at the U.S. Congress, and then look, have a dialogue like we would have, whether it's the Department of Surgery, it's at the hospital staff meeting, let it be passionate and let's have that open, honest dialogue. But then from there, let's decide that these are the things we can work on. And we know if it's for the patient first, and that's what I've seen when I was in my large group, was that we could fight like banshees over many things. But what drove us back together, is this good ultimately for our patients? What is the way that we can give them the control to make their own decisions and make this procedure, make this treatment where it's affordable, that they don't go bankrupt because their son broke their tibia? or their daughter tore their ACL, or their mom broke their hip. We need to be able to come up and use our critical decision-making, our creativity to fight for high-quality and affordable care with best access. That bipartisan cooperative effort is certainly what is needed in Washington, D.C., and I really hope you can bring that there and encourage that there. I worked in a Republican legislature where we controlled the House and the Senate with a Democrat governor, If we talk about what is the one piece of legislation that shows bipartisanship and shows hard work is as in 2015, I brought a bill to fix the auditing process here in Montana as doctors, as dentists, as hospitals. What we were told was send us information and no news is good news. And the government kept asking for more records and it would go on for one, two, three years. We're all type A personalities. We want to know, are we good people or bad people? And we want to know right away. So I created a process that made Medicaid and auditing in Montana a 90-day process with six months of digital records. And if they don't find any criminal activity, they cannot continue on asking for more records. Also, they can't extrapolate when they ask for money back. We also dealt with the issue that if we have conflict over a level three or a level five patient visit. Let's do the following. Instead of fighting it for it in court with consultants, let's just pay the money back. And we have six months to refile that so that we're not fighting over a $100 bill. Instead, we might be talking about a $13 difference by downcoding and billing it for the actual number of bullet points and the actual number of critical decision making. And what we found is that was very effective. Auditing issues in Montana for the last five years is not a problem. The federal recovery audit contractors don't come here because they can't make any money when they can't extrapolate and they can't use more than six months of records. Oh, and they can never do their job in 90 days. So in Montana, we are not burdened by the federal rack bounty hunters. But more importantly, I had to coalesce or bring together 14 healthcare organizations and work with a Democrat-controlled health and human services and a governor to make this happen. It can be done. You just have to be able to educate the legislators and the bureaucrats why it's important for patients. Okay, Al, well, you've got a lot ahead of you. And as we all know, this is a very pivotal and decisive election. To your point, we definitely need to support each other and orthopedic surgeons specifically and physicians generally as we continue to try to help our country. 
How can our listeners learn more about you and support you in your campaign? Yes, please go to alfermontana.com, A-L-F-O-R-M-O-N-T-A-N-A.com. I'm now 40 days before the primary election, and I'd like to be that the next orthopedic congressman from Montana. Thank you very much. I've had the distinct pleasure of talking with Dr. Al Osheski, who's an orthopedic surgeon in Montana, who served our country with valor, both through the Air Force and then serving in the House and Senate for the state of Montana, and is now running for the second House seat from the state of Montana in the U.S. Congress. So there's a lot going on, y'all, especially with this election this year. We've heard Dr. Al talk about the upcoming primary in Montana. So follow the OrthoPAC for voting resources and election updates. Also, keep in mind how you can also join the MADPAC Physicians Candidate Workshop if you're interested in running for elected office. And stay tuned to the AOS Advocacy Bone Bead Podcast as we continue to discuss more pertinent issues on healthcare policy and things that affect our profession and our patients. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal healthcare, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy. Mm-hmm.